Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to NJS Bay's program, Conversation on New Jersey Education, a podcast program dedicated to creating a conversation among those of us in the education community and beyond on the important education issues of the day, uh, a conversation that brings the state education leaders to you, and I hope that you feel free to br- join us in this conversation. Uh, my name is Ray Penny. I'll be your host uh, this morning. Today, as usual, we'll not only be taking your calls, but we also have our chat room open. I think this will give you two different ways of participating. To explain that is Kurt. Thanks, Ray. To call in, dial 1-347-989-8904. When you are ready to make a comment or ask a question, press 1. That will indicate on my switchboard that you are ready to ask a question. I'll get your name and your question or topic. Also, if you are on the phone line, I will ask you to turn down the volume on your computer and only listen on the phone since there will be a delay and it is confusing. If you are just listening on your computer, we do have a chat room feature that you can log on to. We will be monitoring the chat room and will pass on some of the comments or questions to our speaker. To log on to the chat room, you will need to register with Blog Talk Radio. Thanks, Kurt. Uh, New Jersey was the first state in the the nation to pass a tenure law for uh, teachers and staff members. Uh, And it was pretty much stayed in place and got stronger over the years until a a couple years ago when TeachNJ was passed. And... Uh, the landscape in education changed a bit with the ch- change in tenure law. Uh, here to discuss that with me is John Geppert, who is with the, the law firm of Schwartz, Simon, Edelstein, and Kelso. Uh, welcome, John. Thank you, Ray. Nice to be here. Okay, just tell us uh, a little bit about your, your background in the law firm before we start. Oh, sure. I'm a partner at Schwartz, Simon, Edelstein, and Celso. Uh, We represent school boards throughout the state of New Jersey, and I'm very involved in representing the boards, attending their meetings, advising them on all matters, and particularly prosecuting tenure cases. Okay. um, Before we get into the new tenure law, we have to kind of discuss what it was before that. What was the basic provision? I, I think most people know it, but we probably... So, uh, but could you just rehash some of the basic provisions of tenure before oh, sure. the changes? I, sure. For decades in New Jersey, we were used to the process where tenure accrual would take three years uh, in several different formats. We also had the tenure cases filed with the office with the Commissioner of Education and then sent to the Office of Administrative Law. So lawyers and administrators were used to dealing with um, administrative law judges. Their decisions were then sent and appealed to the commissioner of education. And that resulted in a body of case law, which was pretty specific as to determining cases. Um, We also were used to the standard discovery process, where cases may take a period of time and where there were 30 days 
after the filing of the documents to exchange documents and uh, and to do subpoenas and research information. So all of that was standard for many, many years. And as you mentioned at the beginning, that we've seen that that has now changed. Okay. And uh, how long did it take for a teacher to acquire tenure? Well, it used to be that... Uh, they would have three years, uh, three calendar years, or three academic years, and one day at the beginning of the fourth year, or uh, three academic years over a period of four years. So that was how uh, the process was up until uh, 2012. Um, and I know the New Jersey School Board Association has always been an advocate, as have a lot of other groups, uh, for tenure reform, but this tenure reform was actually supported by all the groups. What are some of the key provisions, the key changes uh, that we can focus in on? Okay, well, we had the Teach NJ, which was the statute that came in in 2012, and then that was followed by the Achieve NJ uh, regulations that were just recently implemented. And the major changes are the tenure accrual, Instead of three years, it has now been extended out a year to be four years. So uh, teachers that now come into place have to uh, obtain tenure over a four-year period of time. There have also been two other things added to that, that they have to complete a mentoring process during their first year, and then they actually have to achieve new rankings, which they didn't have to do before, of being rated either effective or highly effective in their performance. So that's a significant difference and definitely has raised the bar as to accruing tenure for these teachers. And also, uh, if, we, if you have a, if you are filing tenure charges, the process is a little bit different too? Oh, it's changed completely. It's almost turned it upside down. What we have now, instead of the old process of going to the Office of Administrative Law and appealing to the commissioner, now the commissioner sends it to arbitrators. And this is an interesting um, development here, that it's a pool of 25 arbitrators pursuant to the statute, and 11 of them have been suggested by the NJEA and 14 by the New Jersey School Boards Association. So we've had introduced into the process a bit of variety now as to the decision makers. And as the decisions are starting to come down, uh, we're seeing some variations there. So that's one important factor. We have arbitrators. And then another important factor is the restrictions that have been placed on that. They have very specific time deadlines now, 45 days that they have to actually begin the hearing, and then they have another 45 days to actually complete their written decisions uh, after the hearings have started. So that has really shortened the process, and it's created a, a number of different challenges for school districts as they go forward with this. One other thing I want to point out, the statute itself talks about limiting the arbitrator's fees to $1,250 a day or 7500 in total. So that obviously causes a restriction on the amount of time that some of these hearings occur. Um, and as we see in some, especially uh, some of the more complex cases, that will have an impact. Well, uh, my understanding would be uh both the, the limitation of the time, shortening the time frame for these decisions, as well as the fees charge. One of the obstacles uh, a few years ago before this law was just it was, and why district did not pursue it in many cases was it was a costly because it was a very lengthy um, process. So uh, it has been shortened. So it 
it probably is uh, not as costly to districts at this point if they follow it. I think that's true, that certainly by shortening the time period, it should uh, restrict the cost and lower that uh, to some extent there. What we see on a, another factor, too, that has an impact in the districts is the discovery schedule has been changed. It used to be that it, the charges were filed and then there would be a period of time to do discovery. One significant change has been that the school districts have to have all of their paperwork in order and have to have all of their discovery and documents ready to go because they have to transmit them immediately to the employee's attorney uh, at the very beginning of the case, as soon as the case is filed and transmitted to an arbitrator, or they're precluded from using those any documents or any testimony at the hearing, and that is a significant change that has really required the, the process to be a little more front-loaded, as we say, that you have to right. have all this preparation done beforehand. Um, I have a couple of questions uh, on if there's issues with teacher and evaluating teacher, because before you do the tenure hearing, I just want to do some clarifications. Uh, you talked about no, a teacher sure. needing mentoring in a district if they're a new teacher. Would that also apply to a teacher who may be a 10-year veteran and just switches districts? Um, yes, it could be involved there. It's mainly applied to the new teachers uh, coming in in their initial year in the district, but there would be some uh, variation with the mentoring if it was deemed necessary, and that would take us into the whole uh, new evaluation process. We, we have some other changes when you spoke of changes before. We now have the evaluation rubrics of a highly effective, effective, partially effective, and ineffective that are clearly delineated. And one change for us, too, has been in the area of inefficiency tenor, tenure charges. The statute says that they have to be based upon the new evaluation rubrics, which has really led to a situation where a lot of school districts have to go through a two-year process of evaluating the teachers under these new rubrics before they can really proceed with the inefficiency charges. Yeah, uh, so um, even if a teacher has had tenure for years, these new rubrics are still, in, uh, this new evaluation with the new rubrics are still effective for all teachers. Yeah, and it's going to have a big... Uh, change because now under the inefficiency charge process, um, the hands of the superintendent are tied to some extent because there are requirements now that if the teachers have an ineffective or partially effective charge or uh, evaluation in a year, and that's followed by an ineffective evaluation, the superintendent has to file inefficiency charges against the uh, tenured employee. And that is... Uh, uh, once again, something that's new to the process that did not exist before. So that, that I know has raised some concern out there, and certainly everyone has their eye on that situation. And these, uh, for the most part, th th these new evaluation models are starting this year. They haven't really, uh, correct? Yeah, that's true. They, they went into place here, and November 15th was the date when some of the objectives, uh, there's that whole new process, uh, summative rating process. It has introduced new concepts now, uh, sort of a three-step process for those teachers who are involved in the ASK test. They have their observations, which are called teacher practice. Then they have a second category of student growth objectives, which are goals. And then they have the third pro um, category of 
student growth percentiles, which are actually the New Jersey ASK tests. So all of that is new and has been introduced into the process this year and obviously is, uh, has everyone's attention and is creating a number of questions. And I, I might say, too, the Department of Education has been training, has been, we had the statute two years ago, then we had the regulations come mm -hmm. into effect this year. They were just uh, approved in September, and they just became effective in October. So we really are on the cutting edge here of new processes and, as a result, new laws. Let's switch gears a little bit because one of the things with this, uh, we're talking with John Geppert from uh, Schwartz, Simon, Edelstein, and Kelso, uh, a law firm, um, about tenure reform, uh, or the tenure law, I should say. Uh, if you want to ask John a question, just call 1-347-989-8904 and uh, press 1, and we will take your question. Uh, John, we, you talked about the arbitrator decisions because you have the basic law, but a lot of times the process changes as arbitrators and, or judges start making decisions. Uh, are there any decisions out there that um, are interesting and, and districts should know about? Oh, I think so, absolutely. As I said, uh, the process is changing, and we now have arbitrators making decisions as opposed to the administrative law judges. Um, and since this process has uh, been introduced, there have been about 28 new decisions that have come down. And interestingly enough, 17 have basically upheld the district and removed the teacher. And there have been seven that have been modified to just be a suspension or increment withholding, and three where they actually dismiss the charges for some kind of procedural problem. But looking at two or three interesting cases, uh, one of the first ones that came down out of Vineland involving uh, Bringhurst was a situation where a teacher was, had been a teacher of the year and then was caught running naked through a parking lot on two different occasions. And needless to say, uh, charges were filed. This employee was dismissed. And it sort of comes under the category, in my mind, of where do you get these guys. But that was, I think, an easy one for an arbitrator. Uh, an example of a more middle-of-the-road process came out of Atlantic City and a case there involving Lorg. In this situation, the teacher threw a paperback textbook at a student's head, causing a laceration uh, to, the, to the student's head. They did not dismiss the student. They actually modified the penalty, reducing their salary to the time of the period of the suspension. And one thing I would point out is that on the other side of the ledger, there's a case that came out of Newark, uh, Williams, where an arbitrator pointed out the problem, and I think this is a good instructive point to the school districts, um, an evaluation was brought in where the teacher was rated a zero, absolutely terrible in various categories. However, there were very laudatory comments written in the narrative, and the arbitrator was unable to reconcile that, and as a result, dismissed the tenure charges and said, we can't proceed with this. So that was a concern and something I just want to point out to the, the school districts out there. So that is a procedural thing that they should be aware of when they, in their pro evaluation process. There needs to be yeah, some uh, consistency. Yeah. Uh, it, um, finish up your thought. Oh, sure. I was just going to say that it, one thing I'd want to point out is it, it is very important, uh, especially now that arbitrators are involved, that the whole due process, progressive uh, discipline idea uh, occurs, that people are warned as to the problems that they're having, 
uh, you know, people do do the evaluations, and there's a little bit of the human element involved in that. But these are going to have a big impact. And as we see, school districts' hands are tied a little bit in the inefficiency area, which relates to performance. If someone is not doing a good job, then they're going to be required to take action. And uh, we've been talking a lot about inefficiency, but, of course, we still have the other areas of charges, unbecoming conduct, such as this individual who's running naked through the apartment. Mm -hmm. Uh, Absenteeism is a big area as well. If someone has prolonged absentee problems, which prevent them from performing in the classroom, uh, that's a grounding capacity as well. So you do have still a variety of other uh, potential cases. John, we have a question from our chat room, uh, and it relates to the pilot districts. You know, tenure charges, as you, we were talking about in inefficiencies, tied to the evaluation process. But some of the pilot districts started th- this evaluation process, not this year, but a year or maybe even two years ago. Uh, mm-hmm. Does that affect the teachers in those districts? Well, to some extent, I do see that uh, the Evaluation Pilot Advisory Committee just issued their report in the last two weeks. So. Um, everything is changing to some extent as it's developing and growing and progressing, and directives do come down from time to time. But um, during this period of time when the law first goes into effect, I do think it creates a uh, window here of the first year or two where you don't have the full evaluation rubrics in place. And I think that's leading some districts to hesitate to go in the inefficiency area. But from a lawyer's perspective, if we have an employee who is, has not performed over an extended period of time and particularly continues to do that, then there's the possibility of considering bringing charges and moving forward. You may fi- face this procedural hurdle of uh, inefficiency charges that are filed now requiring the new evaluation rubrics, but still there's an argument to be made that if someone has just flat out done a terrible job for a period of time, that action is required. Okay, but it would have to be a, a pretty clear-cut case because I, my understanding was that uh, for the pilot districts, that this evaluation model was kind of a, it was a, it was a pilot, so there were not yeah. going to be too many serious repercussions to the teacher, but or staff, whoever the staff member is. Yeah, I, I would say that that's a whole separate category as well because they've been sliced out and put into this pilot process. So I would really tread carefully. My comments, you know, were more of a general sense as to the typical school district out there. And of course, in all these instances, you would want to apply the specific facts of the case. It is a case-by-case process. And you'd want to talk to your individual school board attorney to to apply the specifics to that case. Uh, We were talking about the arbitrator's decisions, and you mentioned a couple of them. Were there any other decisions that uh, districts should be aware of? Well, yeah, one, the Woodbridge case with Radzik, this was a situation where the uh, individual was discussing the New Jersey asked test questions with students, both before and during the test administration, and also instructed others to do the same. And this uh, led to charges and to his dismissal. So that's an area, particularly now with the New Jersey ASK having a, an, such an important part with these student growth percentiles, um, that you need to keep an eye on. So that, that's an example of a situation. Uh, we also had a case out of Cumberland County um, flood where the individual did multiple acts of physical abuse, including pushing a student down the flight of stairs. So in that situation, the, the teacher was dismissed as well. 
And I might point out uh, the case up in Randolph, Boglovsky. In that situation, it, it involved uh, an employee who was misusing the school's computer and sending um, and replying to sexually explicit emails. There, the individual wasn't dismissed um, and received a modified penalty of a suspension. And part of the issue there for the arbitrator is that these did in, involve matters three or four years earlier and that there had been improvement and a lack of problems at that time. So, so that shows that middle area where sometimes the paperwork uh, goes back and forth um, and you don't have a, a total dismissal of the employee. So I, those are just some of the 28 cases, but I think it gives you a flavor of um, you know, what's occurring out there. Now, if a district, uh, if we tie it to teachers' performance, and that, and that was the whole idea be, behind TeachNJ and a lot of the administration's philosophy is that a teacher should be judged somewhat on the student's performance. Um, and, but the rubrics are new. Are there any, uh, in the teacher evaluation, are there any things in the process that the district should be concerned about? Like, I, I know, um, say the evaluator wasn't trained properly. Would that be something that might be a concern uh, if the evaluator was not properly trained under the, whatever their model was? Yes, you certainly, um, from the school district side, want to be concerned about process and making sure that everything is done in an appropriate manner and follows the regulations and the statutes. Training is vital, so it's critical that the observers um, are trained properly and that everything is documented correctly and, and, and that the employees are actually given an opportunity to improve because I think one of the ideas behind to benefit the student is to have better teachers and to give the teachers an opportunity to improve, to be trained, to be told what they need to do uh, to do better. And the, the statute and the regulations are designed, particularly in the inefficiency area, to really um, narrow down to the process. Part, there are only really four areas that an arbitrator considers in the inefficiency. And one of them is the failure to adhere to the process. Um, and that is critical. Of course, arbitrary and capricious reasons is the standard uh, legal basis, and that's still there. But it's this failure to adhere to the process or a mistaken fact in the process itself that can be um, really detrimental. So, so that's a good question because it's important that they do everything properly up front. And um, let me just uh, clarify what you're saying. So, uh, a district ha if if a district has a teacher uh, that they feel is needs improvement through the, the evaluation process, they have to make a concerted effort that an arbitrator could see or anyone could see that they had a process there to improve the teacher's performance. Oh, absolutely. Um, we do have a whole section there on corrective action plans that they do need to be put into place uh, when an employee is ineffective, partially effective, and this requires an additional observation. Um, and the, the regulations have also put in the process specific things. The first two years of a teacher's period of time, they have two long observations and one short one. And then the last two years uh, of the four-year cycle, they have uh, one long and two short. Um, so, and also, I mean, one observation is announced and one is unannounced, and there are pre-conference meetings and post-conference meetings, and there's an attempt to do uh, a great deal to try and assist the teachers. 
Now the district, I mean, there there are standards there for the you know two long and one short and all that. A district can also opt to have more than just the the number that the state recommends. Correct. Yes, you certainly can do more and try to help people as they process. And uh, from the teacher's perspective, if they have a question or if they feel they have a problem, they sh- certainly should speak up. And they have their teacher's representatives who assist them, and they, you know they should put it on the table if they're confused about something. Because I'm sure that's a question an arbitrator would ask at a hearing. Now, I'm not saying uh, – I know one of the issues that a lot of districts have had uh, is that it's hard for them to have the capacity to – to do a lot of the evaluations with the, they have limited administrative time um, i I just want to go back uh, because it, we, we did gloss over and it 's probably an important point um, that uh, in many cases through this new evaluation process, the decisions made through before you know the superintendent doesn 't have much leeway and I just want to reemphasize that in order to board uh, if you're in your evaluation process, and you can explain it exactly one more time, you know, inefficient, partially inefficient. If they have that a certain number of years in a row, that's it. That the decision has to be made, right? Yeah, absolutely. That if they have a ineffective rating or a partially effective rating in the first year, and then in the second year it's an ineffective rating, then the superintendent is required uh, to take action, file the inefficiency charges. There's also a second situation where if the teacher has two consecutive partially effective uh, ratings, and then this is followed in the third year by partially effective, the superintendent may make a finding of exceptional circumstances and defer taking action in that specific situation. But then in that fourth year, it's required that the teacher has an effective or highly effective rating. Um, otherwise, the charges have to be filed at that point. So this is, I would use the phrase, a game changer for a lot of the teachers, uh, that these evaluations have significant importance, and they certainly should consult with their representatives if they're finding themselves getting into that category. Uh, do you have any recommendations that you would uh, – because it looks like it's going to be a very process oriented uh, system, uh, which it normally, oh, I guess it always was in personnel, but um, any recommendations as districts move forward in this area in the, either the evaluations or the tenure? Yeah, absolutely. Um, as I mentioned at the beginning, one thing is you, you have to prepare these cases up front. If you are confronted with an employee that you feel you need to take action on, um, as I said, when the charges are filed now and the commissioner sends it to an arbitrator, uh, the school district has to supply all of their documentation immediately, and we're doing that today in some instances. Uh, otherwise, you're precluded from using that at the, uh, at the trial. So that is a significant change, and particularly it makes it difficult in situations like unbecoming conduct cases where you need to subpoena information when you have a pending case. So it used to be you'd have a pending case, you'd issue your subpoenas and obtain some documentation. That's a wrinkle right now that's a little bit of a, a difficulty for this school district. So once again, make sure your paperwork's in order, follow all the processes, if you have questions, reach out to the department or your individual school board attorney. Prepare up front and follow the process exactly uh, for what 
you need to do. One change now is we're finding on a practical level with the arbitrators, they're willing to come to the school district or to the attorney's office and have the hearings at that point, which actually on a practical level has changed things as opposed to going to one of the courts uh, in one of the cities around the state. So that, that's happened. Uh, big deal now is that there is no appeal to the commissioner. A question if we're going to lose some of the department's expertise there when they were rendering the decisions. But all this remains to be seen in the future as time plays out. Uh, one question, we talk about sending things to the arbitrator. Uh, who decides what arbitrator you get and who pays for the arbitrator? Okay, well that comes from the state. The okay. um, director of controversies and disputes picks the uh, arbitrator on behalf of the commissioner and sends it to one of those 25 arbitrators. So that is really a process. It's totally different from some of the other labor matters where some of the school districts might be used to uh, trying to exchanging lists of arbitrators and trying to pick one. That does not apply at all in this tenure process here. Okay. And, it's, and if it, so a district can't select, has no, or district or a district or, uh, I guess, a staff member doesn't have any say in which, with who or, what arbitrator they get. No, that comes totally from the department. And as I said, it's limited to these 25 individuals, and uh, approximately half of them have come from the New Jersey School Board's recommendation, the other half from the NJEA recommendation. So there is a variety in the uh, arbitrators who sit and hear these matters. And there were certain criteria that these arbitrators had to have before they were even Yes, yeah, so they, they have to reach a certain level, and that's all followed by the department. Okay, uh, we don't have much time left, uh, John. It went pretty fast. Do uh, you have any uh, final thoughts in the 20, 30 seconds? Well, I just wish everyone well with it. If they have a question, you know, consult the regulations and statutes and certainly consult your school board attorney. And, uh, it's, and the bottom line is it's the students that we're interested in, and that's what all these changes have been affected for. So we need to keep that in mind and always try to improve people's performance so that the students benefit. Yes, and uh, I would also tell them that they might want to keep an eye on school board notes and our school law because we will release arbitrators' decisions and report on that because that will, the law, I guess, will evolve over time. Absolutely. That's helpful, and the Department of Ed has a website as well as the school boards that provides this information, and it should be consulted. Okay. Thank you, John. Okay. Thank you, Ray. Okay. And that brings us to the conclusion of this uh, blog talk radio show, uh, Conversation New Jersey Education. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.